Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. It's an iconic song, but also an ironic song was that night silence. From what I hear, childbirth never is. It may have been like any other ordinary typical night, no parades welcoming God in flesh, but was it silent? If I was, past, if I was with Pastor Joseph the night he penned that song, I would have re- recommended one word change in the song, just one. Now, don't get me wrong, I would have ruined the song. But if I could change just one word in the song, I would have written, Silent Night, Holy War. I know, I know, it's, it's not as poetic or calming or Christmassy, but it is reality. Because when you look at the nativity, the stable around you and virgin, mother and child, Joseph, the animals who may or may not have been there that night, when you look at the nativity, If you could peel back the physical, you would find a spiritual war raging behind the scenes. This will not be your typical Christmas message, but I think you might find it more true to Christmas than anything Hallmark has to offer. Revelation chapter 12 is where we're at. Revelation chapter 12, grab a Bible, page 1034 in the Bibles and the chairs. I will say I'm not going to show all the verses up here on the screen. So I really encourage you to have a Bible. Maybe even the Bible's not your thing. That's okay. Uh, today's like the, the first day you could give it a shot and crack that open. Revelation chapter 12 is where we're going to be. You might be thinking, Junior, Revelation? Like the Christmas texts are Matthew 1 and Luke 2. Every other church right now is looking at Matthew 1 or Luke 2 because that's what we're supposed to do on Christmas. I know. It's like we tricked you with the whole silent night thing, you know, the story and the song. It felt so Christmassy for a second. I was like, turn to Revelation. <laughs> no, Revelation 12 speaks of Christmas in a weird way. Actually, I'll put it this way. You know, you know the, the, the nativity scenes or the nativities that everybody has, maybe outside or in their home. Anybody have a nativity that they set up in their house at all? Okay, a few different people. I, so Nicole and I, we, we do not. Uh, we are Christian. We just, <laughs> we just haven't had one. Uh, but I, I did have one as a kid. So, so I, I went out and I, I bought uh, this one right here. And it comes with, I mean, it looks like it comes with, with everything. My girls were playing with it um, earlier today. But, you know, we got the three wise men that brought the gold. And as my youngest says, Frankenstein and, and myrrh. And, you know, we got the, the animals, which, again, may or may not have been there. I actually like this one because it looks like it's in a cave. And if you've ever been to Bethlehem, there's lots of caves. So it's very possible that the nativity took place uh, in, a, in a cave. But it's your typical nativity set. In fact, some cultures will, will leave out uh, baby Jesus and only put out baby Jesus on Christmas, which is kind of a, a cool tradition. But this is your typical nativity scene. Here's the thing, though. According to Revelation 12... There is a major missing piece to this nativity right now. I venture to say, if you have a nativity set at home, or if your neighbors do, you likely don't have this missing piece. If you do, something might be wrong with you. According to scripture, all the nativity scenes that we love so much have a missing piece to them. And we're going to see it here in Revelation chapter 12. As the lens of scripture zooms in, we we find ourselves on the island of Patmos. 
like anybody who might be going to Turkey with, with our church in March. We're going to go visit Patmos, which is an island of, of Greece uh, today. His aged, wrinkled hands tightly grip the pen, but not so much that he shakes. He's the last standing disciple, John, the best friend of Jesus. The others have all been murdered. John is exiled to this island as he awaits death. But Jesus has one more assignment for his old friend. It's as if Jesus says, my friend, I'm, I'm going to show you what happened, what really happened on that silent night. Write this down. Verse 1, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now we look at this, and I just want to ask the question, who is John writing about here? It's a bit weird, isn't it? But it is a big verse in Scripture. In fact, many artists have taken stabs at illustrating this text right here. You have a pregnant woman, you know, star crown, clothed in the sun, standing on the moon. And most people will look at this verse, verse 2 here, and they'll figure, well, this has to be Mary, right? Round young virgin. In fact, Catholicism really, really runs with, the, with this because this is where the whole idea of Mary, Queen of Heaven comes from. And it can look like Mary, right? She's got a crown, Queen of Heaven, it's got to be Mary. The problem with, with all of this is, is this is actually not Mary. This woman, 12-star crown, clothed with the sun, she actually appears a few times in the Old Testament, sometimes in a very negative way. She's likened to an adulterer sometimes. So this isn't Mary. This woman symbolizes Israel. 12 stars of the crown of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this isn't a singular person, but rather it's a nation, Israel. So Israel is going through this agony. The world is dark, is crying out for a Messiah in need of a Messiah. Israel is the one through whom who the Messiah will come through. Is this weird? Maybe a little, but just wait. It gets even more freaky. Verse 3. It says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. So here we have the protagonist. This is, this is the enemy. You have the dragon, which is Satan. So you have the woman, Israel. Dragon is Satan. A third of the stars that followed Satan would be... The demons. My goodness, don't you just love Christmas time at the bridge? Like, we got the Christmas feelings up in here, right? Dragon, demons, and a pregnant woman who's sometimes loose. Like, Merry Christmas, everybody. Now, I know this is a little bit weird, but, but understanding all of this gives a whole new dimension to Christmas. So wrestling through this can allow us to appreciate the physical Christmas story of, of Luke chapter 2. So we continue on. It says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So very, very descriptive. In reality, the nativity that we all love to set up, stable, and animals, and shepherds, and wise men, manger, behind the nativity should be a dragon. This is the missing piece to the nativity. Certainly not as cute, is it? But the dragon is part of the nativity. Now, I would not add this to your Christmas decorations because the neighbors might get weirded out. You know? Are those people mi mixing their Halloween and their Christmas decorations? Nope, we're just biblical around here. Karens would call the city on you. But hey, it, it would be accurate because this 
is what was happening behind the scenes. A little weird, of course. And so let me just kind of explain what's, what's going on here. And to explain what's going on here, we have to actually rewind scripture a bit. Ever since the garden, you probably know the story, even if church isn't your thing. You know, Adam and Eve, you know, they ate, they ate of the tree. They shouldn't have done that. And, and, and when they did that, this right here all started playing out. Adam and Eve sinned, separating mankind from God. But God promised to bridge the gap with the Messiah to pay for that sin. And Satan, the dragon, has been waiting to stop that Messiah, that bridge, and devour the Messiah, destroy him. So the dragon has been after the woman's offspring, trying to destroy and corrupt. So along comes Cain and Abel, two brothers, right? Adam and Eve have kids, Cain and Abel, two brothers. One killed the other. And Satan had to be thinking, okay, well, I got him. One son is dead. The other is a murderer and cursed. No Messiah now. But Adam and Eve, they have a, another child and they have Seth. And so Satan begins, the dragon begins to working to corrupt humanity. And he does. The world becomes, a, becomes very corrupt, a sinful, twisted place. And Satan at this point has got to be thinking, aha, all right, I, I corrupted the entire seed. This is over. No Messiah. I win. But no, hold on. There's one guy, Noah and his family. And so the dragon, Satan, keeps on working, poisoning minds and hearts of people and soon finds that the world again is completely corrupt. And, and so he's thinking, okay, I, I got him now. Like there is nothing left to work with, but wait, nope, there's one more person. There's Abraham and God keeps working and moving and working and moving. And through Abraham, God brings about the nation of Israel from which the Messiah will come. And Satan has been after this nation or this woman trying to devour, corrupt and kill to stop the promised and it's the nativity where it all comes to, to a head. Finally, the woman, Abraham's offspring, Israel, gives birth through the Virgin Mary. God wrapped in flesh, the promised Messiah, enters the scene. Nothing is ever the same. Oh, the dragon will use King Herod in an attempt to kill the child, devour the child. Like as C.S. Lewis puts it, which I love it. C.S. Lewis wrote, God was born behind enemy lines. Like the king landed in dragon territory. But for now, it was a silent night. Yet there was a holy war raging. And despite the cosmic flurry, God did something in the physical stillness of Bethlehem that night. The chaos of the dragon and the pregnant woman in Revelation chapter 12 here, God fought this battle to offer you, to offer your soul a stillness, a peace like no other. And there's something about this time of year that kind of stirs in us this desire for a stillness. I mean, you have to admit, when we talk about Oberndorf, Austria, part of that city kind of draws us in. We've never been there, but like, man, we kind of want to go there. Just like a beautiful simplicity that we want to experience, a stillness. We want that. And the reason that we want that is because God put that longing in us. God designed you with this longing for stillness because there's still part of you that believes we experience God in the stillness, in the quiet. That still small voice of God, as scripture puts it, is heard in the quiet, in the stillness. And so it's part of our design that we long for stillness. And I can't think of a more appropriate thought than how do we find stillness this year? Number one, don't invite my family over, all right? 
don't invite my family over. I kid, I, I kid. I mean, seriously though, and I love it. I walk in the door, like coming home from work and four girls and a girl dog. I don't even get a boy dog, girl dog, you know, and there's all these conversations that are going. One day I'll miss it, I promise. Um, it'll be a silent night for me this year. <laughs> Number one, how to, how to find stillness this Christmas, surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Your soul, like the planet before Jesus, your soul will live in this constant restless confusion until you're connected back to your creator. This is why God warred for your soul. Because he created it. He wants it. You were made to be in this relationship with your creator. And that only ever happens when you surrender to Jesus. The stillness that your soul craves is found in Jesus. Surrender. Now's the time. For some of us in this room, you've been searching long enough. Everything else falls short and nobody knows that better than you. True stillness this Christmas is found in surrendering to Jesus. He's the only provider of true stillness. Everything else is just a cheap substitute. Stillness is found in full surrender. Why drag this out any longer? Right here, right now, surrender to Jesus. Now, for those of us who have surrendered to Jesus, you know this, it's a daily discipline, isn't it? This is daily surrender, constant surrender, surrendering desire, surrendering opinion, surrendering our, our pride, our calendar, our image. To surrender to Jesus is to live in this constant surrender. But here's what often happens. And I would say we're all, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've all been guilty of this or currently right now are guilty of this. We surrender to Jesus. We become this follower of Jesus. It's awesome. We finally find this connection with God. Everything we long for is found in Jesus. We find what we want in him. But as time goes on, we begin to hold on to other stuff. I want Jesus, but I also want this opinion. I want Jesus, but I also want this worldview. I want Jesus, but I also want this relationship that I know he doesn't want for me. I want Jesus, but I also want this venture. Like though we've surrendered to him, we also hold on to something else. And when we try to hold on to Jesus and something else, well, suddenly we're in this tension, the opposite of stillness. And many of us are right here right now, struggling to experience that stillness because there's something that you're holding on to that you shouldn't, or there's something that you're holding on to and you're holding on to it too tight. What is that for you? Is it your image? An opinion? Maybe it's an apology. You know you were wrong. You need that confession. Is it comfort? Like what's keeping you from stillness? What's begging to just be surrendered, to be resurrendered? That's the start of experiencing stillness this Christmas. Number two, you want to find stillness this Christmas? Consider your approach. Consider your approach. Uh, my dad is a, is a, a private pilot. And so periodically I'll, I'll fly somewhere with him. Um, we'll, we'll go up to camp quite a bit or I uh, went to Iowa, went to Pittsburgh a few months ago to, to see uh, a Jack play actually. And, uh, and so we'll fly around a little bit. And I'm not sure if it's legal or not, but when we get up in the air, he'll let me take over as pilot. And uh, I think he's hoping that one day I'll go get my license like when he's too old so that someone can still you know, take him up in the airplane. But that's probably not, probably not gonna be me. I'll fly without a license. That's more fun, less work, less studying. What I can't do though and won't do is I won't approach the runway. Will not do that. Pilot, the guy who knows what he's doing has to do that. 
Because landings are important. If you don't land, you don't live. And it's not just like the touchdown of the wheels that, that matter. The approach to the airport is huge. How you're coming in, the speed that you're, you're coming in at, the altitude, the leveling of the wings, the, the nose of the plane, all of that has to be well adjusted and ready before you get close to the wheels hitting the runway. The approach determines the landing. It's the same with Christmas. Our approach into Christmas determines the season. How are you approaching Christmas this year? Some of us walked in here approaching Christmas this way. Just gotta survive. Just gotta get through the season. You know, work party, working overtime, hosting family, family gatherings. You know, did so-and-so get me a gift? Because then I should probably get them a gift right back, you know? And you are nosediving to the airport. Christmas for you is just gonna be this big crash. Consider your approach. What's this season for? Like, really, what's this season for? And I know the Sunday school answer is Jesus. But like, what are you making this season about? I'm gonna sound really judgmental for a second, but sometimes I hear mature believers say things like, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna make it to the Christmas services this year. I'm hosting Christmas. Like, Whoa. Hold on a second. Christmas is Christ mass. Christ service, a service about Christ. Christmas culminates at the gathering. Like the gathering of believers is the, the runway. The gathering is the runway. If your runway is something else, you're going to land in a field. Also, what does it say about your family and friends that you're hosting? Well, Christ mass is really not that important, as important to me. Like I might make some enemies here. I'm just going to say it. Christmas is not a family holiday. It's not. Now, enjoy family. I'm going to enjoy family, but this season is not about my family. And I have to remember that as, I am as I'm approaching the runway. This is not about my family. This is about pressing into him more. And that happens through pressing into that stillness that he calls me into so that I can hear that still small voice of God. Which then leads to point number three. You want to have a still Christmas this year. Refuse the bait of activity. Refuse the bait of activity. The dragon sights, so to speak, are taken off that whole seed battle. You know, the woman trying to devour because he lost that battle. Jesus won that battle. So now Satan, the dragon, is just out for casualties. All he's trying to do now is just corrupt and destroy. And if the enemy can't destroy you, he wants to distract you. If he can't destroy you, he's going to distract you. Like the dragon might not be part of your nativity, but I guarantee he's lurching in your Christmas. He's lurching in your calendar, looking to distract you from the powerful stillness and silence that God is beckoning you into. Like all joking aside, maybe putting a dragon in your nativity is not a bad idea because it's just this reminder. The dragon is, is still creeping around looking to distract me from the stillness that God calls me to. And so set some boundaries and refuse the chaotic activity. Years ago, my wife, uh, she approached me and she made a, a request. In, and at first, I didn't like it at first. It kind of felt extreme, but uh, she came to me. She said, um, babe, can we just like make a rule every year? No activities or gatherings on Christmas Day. Like, you, like no gatherings on Christmas Day. It's Christ, like 
put on your green suit, you Grinch. Like, babe, what, what are you talking about? She said, well, what if Christmas Day is just like a silent day for us? Like we get together with extended family and friends days before, days after, but like Christmas Day is our day. No plans. We're not answering the phone. We're not opening the door. Nothing. Okay, let's give it a shot. It's now one of my favorite days. We get together with in-laws and cousins and have a blast and all that. But in Christmas Eve, we're in church at the culmination of Christ, Christmas, Christ Mass. But then we go home and our tradition is, I love this. We lay our uh, mattresses, we take our mattresses off our beds. We lay them out in the, in the living room and we sleep by our tree. And I'm even more excited about this year because... Uh, this year, we're going to make a fire. I found a wood-burning stove. And so we're going to make a fire that night. And for 36 hours, no plans, no chaos, no answering phones at the door, just simple stillness. And for me, honestly, it was hard to get there mentally. To like not invite people over, to turn down invites from other people. It's Christmas Day. Also, my wife's a nurse, so she can make like time and a half working at the hospital that day as well. It was like We just decided we will not be distracted. That's our guarded stillness. And it's become this precious time that we now look forward to. Now, that may not work for your family. That's fine. But find stillness and fight for it. Because someone greater is extending an invite to you. Someone who wants to experience you in that that still space. Like, let's go into this season with a little bit more intentionality than we have in the past. Looking for more white space on our calendar because it's, it's in that white space where we often experience God and Christmas the most. Number four, you want to find stillness this Christmas, learn to reflect. Learn to reflect. So in the Christian walk, uh, we call this sanctification, the process of God making you more like Jesus. In the Christian walk, there's these things that we call spiritual disciplines. Um, They are exercises that that Jesus did. Things that we practice to produce and encourage spiritual growth. Um, Some of these exercises are things like prayer, uh, reading scripture, worship, serving, giving, fasting. Exercises that we do to grow spiritually. And out of all of these spiritual disciplines, reflection is the most forgotten. And maybe for a few reasons. Like we as a society, we are so stimulated. We're not quite sure how to reflect. Stillness just kind of makes us anxious. But regardless, reflection, or some call it meditation, is a spiritual discipline. And a major one at that. Here's a wild thought. In scripture, scripture calls us to meditate or reflect 50 times in scripture. 50 times. Why? Well, a big part of that is it creates this silence where God often meets us. We can hear that still small voice. You're not going to hear that still small voice. Everything's like, go, 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 go. But just like have that reflection so you can hear him. But also reflection has massive benefits. Uh, John Maxwell, he wrote this. I love this. He wrote, a minute of thought is greater than an hour of talk. I try to use this when I get invited into meetings. It's like, hey, sorry, uh, thought is, a uh, minute of thought is greater than an hour talk, so you'll have fun talking. I'm just going to be in my office thinking. It never works. But, um, but it is true. In fact, reflection does two very big things. First off, it slows us down. It slows us down. Like going back to that, that, that plane illustration, when we're nearing an airfield, the throttle has to get pulled back because you need to slow the aircraft down because we're approaching a very important moment here. We're going we're gonna to land. This is a big moment, like we could die. So let's pull things back and let's slow things down. This is what reflection does. Because life moves so quickly. 
Then like kids are in school, gotta get them to school. Oh no, now we're on Christmas break. We need childcare. You know, I got these extra projects, you know, overtime, you know, projects before the year closes, extended family wants to get together. Ah, I gotta shop. Right now, everything in life around us just picks up speed. Right now is this downhill race to December 25th. That's why we get to January and everybody says, oh, where did Christmas go? Where did Christmas go? Everybody says that because it's just been this downhill race. Reflection slows us down and it puts us in the moment. Try to reflect. Actually, try this. Sit down after reading scripture and just reflect. What was it like? Like, honestly, what was it really like for the God of this universe to take on skin and enter into a first century world? Like, just reflect on that. Now, at first, it's going to be wildly inefficient. Your mind's going to start thinking of all of your things on your to-do list. But power through that. Just reflect on what God has done in your life what he is doing in your life, what he might do in your life. It's a spiritual discipline that slows you down and it puts you in the moment. The second thing that reflection does is it zooms us out. Zooms us out. Because as the season begins to pick up speed, we tend to get this hyper-focus. That's why there's a lot of stress. Hyper-focus on our packed calendar. Ah, this, 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 that event, gotta get there. Oh, I'm not gonna pull this off. Reflection zooms us out. Hold on. What is this season about? And is my mind and my heart in line with what I believe this season is about? See, stress happens when there's a disconnect between our values and our actions. That's where unhealthy stress comes in, when we're doing things that are not in line with our values. And that comes to a head on Christmas because we'll say, ah, Christmas is about Jesus. You know, the Sunday school answer, Jesus, reason for the season. But then we look at our calendars and our energy, it doesn't align with that at all. And that's why we carry stress through the season. Reflection zooms us out in order to realign our values with our behavior. This is why studies have shown that the best leaders, best coaches, have times of reflection built into their days. It's constantly reflecting on why am I doing this? What am I doing here? Why am I doing it? And are my values in line with my task list today and my task list this week? See, he calls you to reflection because it's where he often meets us. So surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Consider your approach. Refuse the bait. Learn to reflect. It broke my heart the other night. I promised my girls that we'd watch a Christmas movie, Home Alone. So we piled on the couch in our PJs. It's like my favorite time, you know, the, the five of us, I guess six with the dog, all piled up in our PJs on the couch, watching a movie. But I had a bunch of loose ends from the day. I was trying to get a hold of the contractor to put the wood stove in my living room for Christmas Eve. And so I was just like bugging the contractor of like, I gotta get this done. And then I had some uh, emails that I need to respond to about a charity event, some, some Christmas parties. And a couple of staff were slacking me about like an upcoming project. And so I was just trying to, to tie up some loose ends, trying to catch up, sitting there on my phone. And my daughter, who's sitting on my lap, my youngest, put her hand on my wrist, pulled my hands down and said, Dad, just be with me. That one hurt. I wonder if God's saying the same thing to you. I know you got this and that. 
and especially you moms, I know you want to make Christmas special for everybody. But I just want to be with you. I want you to experience me in a way you never have before. The season's powerful. But if you sprint through Christmas like you always do every year, you will miss the moment, the precious, precious moment. Don't waste this season again. Learn to surrender. Go into this season surrendered. Take a healthy approach. Say no to some things. And embrace that silence and learn to reflect. It will be a fight. It's going to be a fight. But it's a fight worth fighting. Because radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Don't let the dragon distract you from that. Because that's what he's looking to do. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.